Hey girl, how's it going? Welcome to the third season of SBC. In December of 2019, I published an episode about Inferno Noir Chico here on the podcast. That was the first book I read by Claudia Lemis, and I remember saying that I wanted to buy all her books and read them all during Christmas break that year. It didn't happen quite like that. Among other books, it took me almost an entire year to read everything Claudia has written. But the point is that I have read it all, and I can safely say that she is now one of my favorite writers of all times. Definitely my favorite from Brazil. She published O Vejo Cage, O Despertagem Serial Killer, independently in 2014. It was her first thriller. O Vejo Cage, A Lua do Assassino, the sequel, came out in 2019, also as an independent publication. The duology that we call Cage 1 and 2 for short is the best thing I've read in a long, long time. It's dark, emotional, full of triggers. It made me sick to my stomach, and it also made me cry out of desperation in some parts. So I'm dead serious when I say that these books are not for the faint-hearted, and this episode might not be as well. Where are the children's books, please? In that room right over there. Would you like me to pick you out one with lots of pictures in it? No, thank you. I'm sure I can manage. You know, you could have your very own library card, and then you could take books home. And you wouldn't have to walk here every day. You could take as many as you like. That would be wonderful. Before we get to the killing, here's the schedule for the rest of the season. The next episode will come out on January 25th, in which I'm going to discuss We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves by Karen Joy Fowler. On February 8th, My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. On February 22nd, Troubled Blood, the fifth novel in the Corman Strike series. On March 8th, Andre Matos, The Maestro of Heavy Metal. On March 22nd, The Summer That Melted Everything by Tiffany McDaniel. On April 5th, I'm going to discuss Wilder Girls by Rory Power. Finally, we'll end the season 3 on April 19th with Imaginary Friend by Stephen Jabowski. You have plenty of time to organize your schedule and read the books so the episodes can be spoiler-free for you. Join the discussion on the Discord server, where we talk books, shows, games, and English, of course. Check the episode's description for the link. To Hermione Jean Granger, I leave my copy of the Tales of Beadle the Bard, in the hope that she find it entertaining and instructive. Mommy's giving me those. The wizard in the hopping pot, babbity rabbity in the cackling stump. Come on. Babbity rabbity. No? In Kate 1, Nathan Bardell has been tried and executed for the murder of 12 women in the small town of Blasfield. But now a new killer has emerged. One that is more violent and cruel than Bardell, but who uses the same MO. 
He has his eyes fixed on Kate, who is herself obsessed with writing Bradell's biography. What Kate doesn't know is that Nathan is also consumed by her, even though he's already dead. He sees Kate. He reads Kate. She investigates him. He deciphers her. And he's furious when he finds out that a new killer is copying him. He's also displeased with Kate's new romantic interest, Ryan Owen, the FBI agent who caught him. Together, Kate, Ryan, and Nathan tell a violent story about human behavior, sexuality, psychology, and what goes on in the mind of a serial killer. In Kate 2, five years have passed, and things haven't been easy for Kate. What happens after the worst night of your life? What happens when you're certain that evil is still around the corner, when you can see it in every shadow? Kate's worst nightmare still haunts her and nobody seems to believe the danger is real. God, what a ride. So, first of all, I had the opportunity to ask Claudia about the English version of the books and she said that's something she definitely wants to do, although there's no project in sight at the moment. Claudia has taken a break from her writing career and she's now focused on Rocket Editorial, her new publishing house, so I believe it's going to be a while until the duology and her other books can be found in English. But here's a random fact. The first Kate was originally written in English and then translated to Portuguese. There you go. Speaking of the books now, I don't have enough adjectives to describe the state I was in after I finished Kate's story. I'm not a mother, like Kate is in the second book, but I'm a woman, and like all other women I know, I have been sexually harassed and assaulted. So reading these books was a visceral experience for me, especially the first one. And the cherry on top of that experience was that I started reading just a few weeks after my first nephew was born. If you've already read the books, you know, and if you're not afraid of spoilers, you're about to find out that there are actually two killers who are copying Nathan Burdell's M.O., and they are Kate's brother-in-law and her nephew. Her nephew being the mastermind behind everything. He's just a kid. Really, he's just a child. And although I couldn't yet hold my nephew because of COVID-19, all the love that flooded me when he was born was still very recent and exciting when I started reading Kate 1. So yeah, that was a painful book to read, to say the least. Claudia doesn't shy away from graphic descriptions. That's one of the things that I love the most about her writing. But when she describes Kate being assaulted by her nephew and brother-in-law... That was the moment I got so desperate I started crying, and I had to put the book down for a while. That never happened to me before, and it's for making me feel like that that I think Claudia is one of the most talented writers I know. As a reader, I'm interested in books that make me feel whatever the author wanted me to feel when they wrote their story, and I want these feelings to be real and instinctive. I want to care so deeply about what's happening to the characters that I can't think of anything else for days. Claudia does that really well in all her books, but especially in this duology. 
So I had Kate 1 opened in its final pages. I was crying and begging for a happy ending. I was literally begging for it out loud. And that's kind of what happens. Both men are caught, they go to jail, and Kate and Ryan can finally live happily ever after. Except that's not where the story ends. While Kate 1 was a 5-star read for me, Kate 2 was a hard pill to swallow for one reason only. I wanted a happy ending. Me, the drama queen who's a sucker for suffering and a good disaster, I really wanted Kate, Ryan, and their son, because now they have a son, to be happy. In the first book, Nathan is the spirit that haunts Kate and Ryan. In the second, it's Kate's sister, who, who was killed by her own son. That's also something I was a little disappointed with, because Bardell was a really good character, and Amanda doesn't come close to being as good a narrator as he was. I understand, however, that it makes perfect sense for her to be narrating now, because she had a personal involvement with all the characters, and she feels bad for the things she's saying. We don't get this kind of personal connection with Bardell, in spite of his obsession with Kate. While her brother-in-law went to jail, Kate's nephew was institutionalized because he was a minor, and now he's about to be released. After all trauma she's lived in the first book, and obsessed now with uh, keeping her son safe, Kate has been through therapy, fighting lessons, and shooting practice. She's preparing for a final confrontation she knows is coming. She can't be happy with Ryan, because above all conflicted feelings she has, she blames him for not killing her assailants. So they are separated, and he's seeing someone else. Kate's mother, who is going to have custody over her grandson, is naive and blind in her resolve to right the wrongs that were committed during his childhood, and she will only make things worse. Needless to say, this story doesn't have a happy ending. Why don't I know you? I'm new. I just moved here from Africa. What? I used to be homeschooled. Wait, what? My mom taught me at home. No, no, I know what homeschool is. I'm not retarded. So you've actually never been to a real school before? Shut up. Shut up! I didn't say anything. Homeschooled. That's really interesting. Thanks. You're, like, really pretty. Thank you. So you agree? What? You think you're really pretty? Oh, I don't know. Oh my god, I love your bracelet. Where did you get it? Oh, my mom made it for me. It's adorable. It's so fetch. What is fetch? Oh, it's like slang from England. So if you're from Africa, why are you white? Oh my god, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. Could you give us some privacy for like one second? Yeah, sure. Like I mentioned before, the books are narrated by Kate and Ryan, with Nathan Bardell as the third point of view in Kate 1, and Kate's sister Amanda in Kate 2. Having a dead person narrate the story as a spirit, without them being necessarily aware of their condition, was something that won me over in the first line. I see Kate. She doesn't see me. It's so simple, yet so elegant and full of character. There are also details of the spiritual plane that Nathan and Amanda don't really understand, but describe to us. 
a pink aura surrounding Kate and Ryan when they are together, for example. This particular way in which these books were built is a part of the reason I love them so much. Another part is the narrative. There are no loose ends and the pace is always perfect. Claudia's raw descriptions are quite impacting, but the way I see it, that's a positive point. And finally, we have Kate and Ryan. Kate is the black sheep of her family. She's an intelligent, fierce, strong woman, full of character and in control of her sexuality. At the same time, she's broken in many ways. She's destructive and has an addictive personality. I've related to Kate in many levels, but I could also see how different we are, and that's because of how well she was created. There are layers and layers of personality traits that make you feel like you know her. The same goes for Ryan. Although the story is naturally more focused on Kate than on him, we get to know him pretty well through the chapters that he narrates. And in spite of his faults, Ryan is a pretty good guy who loves Kate and their son deeply and tries to do whatever he can to make the world safer for them. However, his morals are solid and there are some lines that he simply won't cross. I loved Ryan a lot. He was my favorite character in both books and my heart breaks for him every time I remember how the story ended. How often do you read it? Haven't you ever read the same book over and over again? Well, um, I guess I read Little Women more than once, but I mean, that's a classic. What's so great about The Shining? The question should be, Rach, what is not so great about The Shining? <laughs> okay, and the answer would be nothing. All right? This is like the scariest book ever. I bet it's way better than that classic of yours. <laughs> okay. This last section of the podcast is where I tell you if the book is too scary or too strong to be read by innocent readers. If so, it should be kept in the freezer while you read it, just like Joey did with The Shining in Friends. As I'm sure you've guessed it by now, the duology of Visual belongs in the freezer. It is intended for mature audiences, it is full of triggers, and it's very, very graphic. None of these are bad things. If anything, they make the story seem real, but they are also an indication of whether or not you should be reading these books. That was SBC Season 3, Episode 12. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. Check the episode's description for links and more info.